The Young Jerks are sponsored by UFCW 1445, a labor union representing cannabis employees in Massachusetts. If you are a cannabis employee worried about your health and safety and are not being heard at work, UFCW local 1445.org or call them at 1-800-439-1445. Good evening, everyone. It's Grant Smith here with the Young Jerks. It's 4.05 p.m. on August the 1st, 2020. We almost started at 4 o'clock. I try to do my best, but sometimes we run a few minutes behind. Uh, you're all watching the Young Jerks this evening, and we're in for quite a treat with our episode tonight. I'm joined by some excellent guests that are really going to dive in depth with us on adult use cannabis uh, delivery regulations in the Commonwealth, uh, in particular in the context of the CCC's current regulatory revision. Uh, before we dive into their intros and their introductions, I'll take a second to welcome you to the Young Jerks. Uh, as you all know, uh, the Young Jerks can be found at facebook.com forward slash the Young Jerks. You can also find written content from us at midnightmass.substack.com and articles from both the founder of the Young Jerks, Mike Crawford, and myself, Grant Smith, can be found in our print partners, Dig Boston and Greenleaf Magazine. Uh, we also want to give a big thank you to our sponsor, UFCW 1445, for all the excellent work they've been doing in the Massachusetts cannabis arena. With that out of the way, uh, you can see here that I'm joined by uh, both Morris Party and Aaron and Janelle Goins. Um, I told you that we were going to talk a little bit about adult use delivery, but before we do that, why don't I give our guests a chance to introduce themselves and uh, tell us how they got involved with the uh, adult use cannabis arena and in particular adult use cannabis delivery. Uh, Aaron and Janelle, would you like to introduce yourselves and start us off? Uh, yeah, I'm Aaron, and uh, I guess it's Janelle Goins. Um, whew, boy, um, man, this has been, well, like a two-year journey or so. Um, we originally, a few years back, considered maybe going onto the medical side, um, but decided that wasn't going to be the right avenue for us at that time. And once uh, the state voted to go recreational, we made that decision to make a full commitment to the charge for going to the recreational market. And uh, needless to say, everyone who's going through this is a process, especially at the town level. Um, but it's uh, we finally punching through and um, we will be located down in Wareham. Uh, thankfully, we finally got some things wrapped up and uh, be looking for us in the future. That's awesome. Uh, Morris? Sure. Well, I, I, like the Goins, I've been on this journey for at least a couple years now. Uh, it's, it's been a fascinating ride full of ups and downs. Uh, I've been in the process of launching a company called Emerald River. We've been pursuing um, adult use retail stores. Uh, we're still trying to figure out where to locate those stores. And so when the delivery opportunity started to roll along, when the CCC started developing the regulations, uh, I realized that I qualified for that under the SE program guidelines. So I signed up as an SE uh, a while back and uh, look forward to, to seeing how these delivery regulations finalize uh, in the next couple of weeks, especially starting Monday with the public comments period coming right up there. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much. We'll thank all of you for that, those introductions. Um, I really want to dive right in here because we have about an hour, so I want to make the most of this time. Um, for those who are not aware, uh, Morris just uh, gave me a nice transition there. Uh, as I mentioned earlier on Monday, the CCC's public comment session is going to take place uh, virtually. And then until August 14th, the CCC's public comment period is open uh, on their proposed uh, draft regulations for adult use and medical use cannabis. The reason why we're here today is because the existing framework for adult use delivery in the Commonwealth is, according to uh, Aaron, Janelle, Morris, Devin Alexander, Christopher Ferb, and so many others, not good enough. So before we dive into your proposed solutions, uh, would uh, someone like to take us through the current format as it exists and why it's not good enough? Sure. Uh, okay. I'll be happy to take that one. So, so the current framework, 
one of the things the commissioners wanted to do in the process of developing a delivery license was to make it a lower cost uh, a type of license to get into so that more people would be take would be able to take advantage of it however in the course of tr of doing that they took and in order to maintain the safety regulations that they need to uphold in the process they they actually to, uh, i don't know how to politely say it, they they strangled the business model available. And, and so I'll try and explain that this way. So in order to save an, an applicant from having to construct a full vault or secure space with cameras and locking systems and so forth, they said, well, if, 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 the, if the delivery operators don't have to have a safe, they could pick up products straight from a store and then deliver that to the customer. So, so they never have to store it. Every they're they're envisioning every transaction as to be pick up from the store, deliver it to an entity. But but the problem with that is is that means that that delivery operator can only make money on the actual on an actual transaction fee above and beyond the cost of the product which we as we all know is amongst the highest in the nation so 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 i, I was really pleased to that in the process of figuring all this out meeting the goins and and them also doing this sort of analysis to say wait a second here this it's not just me saying this, it's, and of course, I've heard a lot of SC candidates also say, wait, wait a second, this does, I, I don't have my own store, I, I don't get what's going on here. And so one of the main things that we're going to try to emphasize to the commission starting tomorrow, well, we've already been talking to the commission, but especially in that public comment tomorrow is to say, if you don't make these changes we're suggesting, you're actually creating a brick wall of a business. Like it's going to sink people who are trying to get into it. And I'll I'll stop there and let the Goins add in their much more detailed analysis of the finances of, of how it's currently constructed. Yes, and let me um, first apologize uh, because I've seen your name so often, Aaron and Janelle, I was convinced it was Goins. So I'm, I'm glad uh, it, I'm corrected and it's Goins. Uh, second of all, uh, so I was going to basically ask you to transition a little bit by saying, is, is am I hearing Morris correct that they basically proposed an Uber Eats model as it exists currently? That's being, uh, yeah, it's being polite. Um, it's the best way of putting it. Unfortunately, it really isn't a full-fledged business for the SC to enter into. And the reason being is that they're completely dependent upon the retailer for the product, for the actual customer itself. And as a result, they have no pricing capabilities. A retailer such a, a delivery, a retail only deliverer would not have the ability to increase the price of the product. What they would be rendered to do is essentially add a delivery fee. So if we go through the mathematics, and I guess you're seeing that maybe the average eighth is going for maybe $60 in this state, which is, yes, is high. On top of that, you're throwing on a 20% uh, tax on top of that. So now you have $72. So how much room does a retail only delivery company have in terms of adding on delivery fee? $10. So now we've got an $82 eighth, $20 is what the common um, amount is thrown out there. And so at the end of the day, it's almost rendered to a form of sharecropping, modern day sharecropping. Uh, if you know what, know what that is, please look it up, 1800s to early 1900s. Um, it's basically an economic cycle that keeps you almost uh, entrapped to the landlord. In this case, the landlord would be the dispensary. So they have very little power in negotiation on top of that too. And we've spoken to a number of SCs between all three of us and some others who are on the call, who are on this at the same time. In general, each time that they've gone to these retailers to try to establish a contract, um, in many cases, the retailer is not willing to give a 
commission or a percentage off the retail price. Many times they're saying, oh, you can just charge a $25 delivery fee. Um, the problem is, is that the way that this model will have to work, these delivery companies would essentially need to be getting close to a 30% discount in order to make this model something that's actually somewhat viable. And even at that level, you're still looking at tighter margins. And couple that with a delivery fee, well, a delivery fee is only good for as long as it stays. So you can conceivably see a delivery, delivery fee war developing where one uh, um, delivery company might say, listen, I'm gonna start out at $20. Well, then that first, the next one's going to say, you know what, at 15, I can get more customers. And next thing you know, you're, it's a race to the bottom. And that is one of the major components that a delivery company is relying on for income. Once that goes away, you're pretty much in a debt spiral. You're tied to the retailer. Yeah. The one other thing I wanted to say though, Grant, is on the Uber Eats model, I would challenge it that it's worse than an Uber Eats model. <laughs> because not only do you not have the margins to really have a business, but it's more expensive. You have, you cannot use your personal car. Like you have to retro this car. This car has to have cameras on the cages. It has to have different cages for cash, medical, retail. Um, you have to have GPS. Like I just don't, it's not the type of business where someone's using their personal car. You can't store the personal car at your house. So you have to have a building, even though the building doesn't have this room that houses cannabis, it's still a building with rent, right? So the one thing that they took out to make it viable was the things that we need to make it a business. So yes, it does make it a little bit more expensive, but okay, at this point, now it's a real business. You can get investors. Even if investors are a problem, investors are still looking for an investable business. They're not looking for a business where you're fighting for $20. And that's really what we'd be doing. So it's not even Uber Eats. Yep, thank you. And before, I know you guys have done some amazing work over the past few weeks and there's some constructive uh, proposals you have. And before we dive into that, I want to uh, cover one more thing about the current model. And I don't mean to bash it as bad, but it's important for people to understand why it's not viable so that they understand why the proposed changes are so important. Um, I, I think it was a combination effort, but you all have done some excellent economic analysis of the viability of the license type as it exists now. And is it my read of this analysis that even if these companies were charging $40 delivery fees per order, they would still be operating at a net loss per month? Yes, well, you have to think about it like this, okay? So if you can, if you can beg the retailer, let's say for 20%, let's say that's realistic, and let's say your average delivery is $100 that you're, you're, you're making. So right there, the, the retailer is then giving you $20 on that, right? Then you're gonna charge a delivery fee. They're saying $20, but let's say something more reasonable like 10, which we'll still say won't stay, right? So that's $30, which is less than the 40 you just said, but $30, right? Now we have two drivers. How much are you paying those two drivers? Most likely you're trying to pay them around $15 each, right? There's your $30. Now we still have a building, we still have insurance, we still have the cost of any systems that you have, you have security, you have the recordings that we have to hold for a certain amount of time, you have the cars, you have retroing them, you have Salary, benefits if you'd yeah, like to give office. any, you, if anybody's running your office other than the drivers, there's more money. So. I can go to $40, $40 isn't enough. Cause then you also have taxes, right? And most of our taxes come off of top line. Like it's not enough, there's no room. And you're begging for all of it. You're begging for the delivery fee from the customer and you're begging for the commission from the retailer. There, where's the stability in this model? And then you have an exclusivity period. Let's put it there, you have an exclusivity period that they know is probably two, maybe three years if it gets extended, right? But this exclusivity period means that they can get in the market in three years. So do they really have a lot of incentive? Is there really a lot of incentive to use these deliveries? Yeah, maybe. Maybe you'll use them for a little bit. But eventually, you're planning on doing it yourself and keeping your margin. Most of these companies are vertically integrated. It's been pushed in this. So there's a lot of um, wanting to keep everything in this business. And I just don't see where we have the pull to, to be viable or the pull to even make them keep us Actually, in the God, way that it is. We can give you a perfect example. Um, we know of a couple individuals who have 
approach um, some of the larger entities in the state um, trying to set up a delivery contract. And in that situation, first thing I say is, why do we even need you? What do we need you for? So that kind of sets it at a bad sort of tone right there. Second of all, while this SC is trying to negotiate with them because they already have medical, hey, we could deliver your medical and we could deliver your recreational. What the dispensary says, no, 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 we're keeping, we're gonna be delivering our own medical. That right there tells you the near and long-term um, intent that they have, where that you're in there trying to negotiate with them to deliver their products and they're saying, we're gonna hold on to medical. That pretty much tells you that once this exclusivity period is up, you, you're, you're done. You're done, we're going to then, we already have medical, we'll just also deliver recreational. You're just a placeholder for us at this time because that's what the regulations state. So the intent, I believe, is not there. Possibly, this, some dispensaries may not have the margins to give. I would question if all of them are situation, as Janelle indicated, many of them are vertically integrated. And when you're vertically integrated, you have more margins to give. So since we have a lot of people watching, I, I want to take this time because what we really wanted to cover today was, as bad as the current proposal is, the amazing work that not only uh, you folks have done, uh, but uh, the folks you've been working with have done uh, to get some momentum towards changing what is in essence a broken model that is setting up EE and SE applicants who seek the delivery retail license to fail. And um, I guess I'll go to, to Morris. Um, Morris, can you tell us a little bit, about, little bit about what's developed over the past few weeks? I saw you guys had a petition going. You had this letter that went out. You got hundreds of people in support. Uh, what is the model you're proposing that this change to? And how has the last few weeks played out? Sure, it has been very, very wonderful to work with the Goins as well as Chris Fevry and Devin Alexander. Uh, Chris has, has spearheaded kind of a, a brand new organization to try to get all the SC people interested in delivery together on the same page. And, and so, so work, so amongst all of us, and, and thanks for your work in, 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 in helping us to shape that as well, Grant. But, uh, but I will, but we will be showing this sign to the commissioners on Monday. And, and so this is the basically the three main points that we are that we're conveying to the commissioners that that the social equity should be able to per or you know delivery companies should be able to purchase from all licensed wholesalers every other license can purchase from essentially any other license so a craft can buy you know a, a, a retailer can buy from a direct from a grower buy direct from a manufacturer a manufacturer can buy from a grower retailers can even sell product to each other retailers can sell product to third-party transport why would delivery be the old pretty much the only license type restricted on who they can buy product from so so it leads with that the the second point is that we want to have the delivery company be able to have normal storage again every other license type there's no has to i mean there, there are regulations around storage in that it has to be secure and locking and pass inspection and have cameras on it but again why would delivery be the only license type as the regulations are currently written that that they cannot store product overnight every product that they pick up from a retailer if a customer for whatever reason refused delivery or didn't have sufficient funds to pay for it that product has to go back to that retailer before the day is over i mean talk about a logistical nightmare if 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 you have if you're a delivery company and you have say 10 10 deliveries you're making at the end of the day and three of them don't pan out now you're spending your entire evening trying to get product back to where it came from. So, so, so we would love to have normal delivery. And then the last point, which the Goins have, have expressed so well, is that um, it, it, it's hard to evaluate the success or failure of a business within three, within two years as the current regulation stands. So we're pressing for 
the initial period to be three years, and then the commission can evaluate to say, should, should it be extended even longer? So, so we, so I, I don't know, if, I think it was Chris who had this fabulous logo created, but for the folks watching this, this program, if you want to get involved, if you want to see where to um, sign that petition, which amazingly has had 265 signatures already, then the, the website right there is mascad.org. And if I'm understanding this, I'm going to come over to you, Aaron and Janelle now. If I'm understanding this proposal, what you guys are asking for is for these um, delivery companies and people need to realize if they want to see this change, they need to email commission at cccmass.com. They need to go sign the petition. Uh, but what you're asking for is, in essence, for this license to actually be the retail license that was promised. Yes, we... Okay, when we first were looking into the industry, obviously the option to go with retail early on was there. We specifically wanted delivery. From the very beginning, we wanted delivery. Delivery also became what was going to be reserved somewhat, right, to provide equity to SEs. Um, so that was even better. We waited though, and what waiting did is it got all the towns closed for you because there's there's a retail cap in each town and it let all these people in first right where there's hardly any competition it's very easy to make money you don't have to be efficient you don't even have to have necessarily good product right okay we we gave up all of that because we wanted delivery then delivery came out and delivery wasn't a business so now it was like, okay, so now what do you do when delivery is not a business? And what we saw happening is a whole bunch of SEs still trying to do it. They're going to still try to make it happen. And what we feel is we felt an obligation to say, stop, wait a second, because you're going to have a ton of people go out of business and lose their life savings because that's what they're using for this. They don't have investors, not quote unquote investors when we think about them. They have family and friends and people that they know that are trusting them and giving them their hard earned money, you know, so that they don't invest with. And we didn't want to see that happen. And we also were saying for ourselves, well, um, it's not even worth it to go into delivery. So we started thinking about something else because I wasn't going to deliver for retailers and set my whole business on um, they, them, basically controlling what happens and that's how it's set up. So instead, what we what, what we decided we needed to fight for was wholesale. And my biggest thing with wholesale was what I thought was happening is that all these rules had been set up to protect retail. Um, with that being the argument, my argument felt a little bit weaker if you really are protecting retail because yeah, we do we're competition for retail. Delivery, if it can buy wholesale, is competition for retail. So it's hard for me necessarily to have an argument other than equity and you shouldn't be worrying about if we're competition because everyone's competition and that's what this is about. But once I spoke, once we actually spoke to the commissioners and they, what it seemed like, they're saying that the reasons it was set up this way was because of like Morris said, a lower barrier of entry as far as cost goes. So then if that was really the reason, well, I have all the arguments in the world. The reason I have all the arguments in the world is because yes, I understand the good intent behind a lower barrier of entry. The problem is, is marijuana is expensive to run a business in. It's not a cheap business. So whether you make the cost of entry 300,000, 500,000 or a million, when you're coming to fund, talking about funding, people still need access to funds. That's a separate issue than taking everything out of the license that makes it worthwhile. So, if so you just, then, just to understand, because yeah. I know our I know our viewers might be a little little bit in the weeds here, but I, I think I'm pulling this out. What you're saying is that they they tried to lower barriers to entry by not having delivery companies get a warehouse and buy wholesale, but what they ended up doing was doing something worse, which was making the business completely unviable. Yes, exactly. exactly. The way that I, I like to describe that, and, and I wrote a letter to the commissioners right when the delivery regulation, the delivery application was opening up at all. And, and I said it this way, that, that we understand you're trying to make it a low cost. You're, you're trying to save, basically they're trying to save delivery companies the cost of building a vault. 
Now, what is the incremental cost of building a vault? I mean, it, it's hard to know, but but in doing that, they've brought the your your margin your the the margin on the product from what would normally be about fifty percent to literally zero, literally zero. The the Goins were talking about how we would hope that the re if if this if you had to buy from a retailer we hope they would give some sort of a discount but they've got no incentive at all to give any discount so so you have to assume that they won't give a discount to retailers and so so the, the again the commission has good ideas and and has their the I mean, many people don't real don't think their hearts in the right place but I think it actually is is really important to understand that the commissioners have a lot of pressure on them from other powers that be, from the legislature, from you know, the, from from all the other political pressures, from the health community, you know, from public safety community. They they have pressures on them to to try to do this right and balance all these different forces, different competing. I think that's what we we just look looking at them from a hey we want to open a business why don't you make it so that we can open a business and but but in talking to them it's like well we we've actually had to fight really hard just to get to this point I mean there's a lot of people in the Commonwealth who don't want delivery at all so so and I, uh, I I I do want to go back to Janelle but you bring up such an important piece of historical context I first wanna use the opportunity to take a station break because we've hit the bottom of the hour and let folks know that you are watching the young jerks and we're very grateful to be joined for this excellent conversation on adult use delivery by aaron and janelle goins i got it right this time and by moore's party did i get that right too party party all right i'm getting there names have not always been my forte but i'm moving in the right direction you can find more content from the young jerks at facebook.com forward slash the young jerks where this episode and all of our other episodes are available for watch uh, for viewing on demand uh you can also find all of our podcasts which uh, this episode uh, will be converted into after we're done on apple Podcasts, spotify anchor breaker uh, or anywhere else where your podcasts are found you can also find our content in writing at midnightmass.substack.com or at our print partners, Dave Boston. Okay, so uh, it is 4.30 p.m. on August the 20th, and we're having this excellent discussion of delivery. Where I was about to jump back in on our discussion was in regards to something that Morris had just brought up, and then I want to come back to Janelle because I didn't mean to jump in uh, and break up what was an awesome uh, explanation earlier. But uh, we were talking about where delivery was uh, a few years ago, why it ended up in the format it was, and the kind of institutional pressures, not just profit uh, pressures, but the institutional pressures, be it the appointment authorities, the governor, the treasurer, the AG, the legislative pressures, or otherwise public health, public safety pressures that changed uh, the discussion. Now, may, maybe you guys know the history a little bit better than me, but is it my understanding that a few commissioners, uh, Chairman Hoffman and Commissioner Title, have been actually pushing this wholesale uh, vault warehouse model for a few years, but there was some pushback from other commissioners who maybe didn't realize how financially unviable an Uber Eats model was. Is that, am I, uh, Janelle, am I understanding that? Yes, exactly what you said. I, I think that the the concern for the other commissioners were safety. Um, what we, they felt that they, it was, first of all, cost prohibitive to make delivery deliverers get the product from the wholesaler to the to the customer in a way that they felt was safe they thought that that would be cost prohibitive and and they wanted to make a low cost of entry a barrier of entry and i think that the other um I think those were the two. I think it was just the safety that they felt and the low cost of entry. Now, the way that we attacked that is that we spoke to them about if you are already comfortable with the way retail gets it from wholesale to the customer, then we can do it the same exact way. We have the same SOPs, same rules, same regs. Why is that any different than getting licensed as a retailer? So if that's the problem, if, that's, if you're afraid of the safety of it, well, you're already comfortable with how the retail does it. So let us do it that way. Yes, now then we go back into the cost issue. We can't really solve the cost issue um, because it is expensive to run a business in cannabis. So yes, the cost will go up some because you also have to have packagers. 
if you think about like the, a lot of the stuff you're getting from wholesale isn't packaged and um, we wouldn't have to have that from retail, which is why they were tagging us to the hip of retail like that. The problem is, is we have no power in that tie. So we have no power in them thinking that they can't get rid of us and we have no power in making them do anything as far as what the commissions are. So it just wasn't working. But yes, I think, believe she, I know Shailene titled commissioner title has been fighting for it. I believe commissioner Hoffman was as well. I'm not, you know, I think you know better than me actually Grant. <laughs> but, <laughs> but so what I, happened? What, what happened over the past few weeks? How did you guys get through to the commissioners who have been opposing I, this? It was really what it came down to was Chanel and I essentially sh showing the model that was created. Um, I think when you're a regulator, you're sometimes really into the weeds of the regulation and you don't necessarily know the absolute bottom line of the results of your regulation. So after Janelle, I were talking to a lot of SCs and some of them actually shared with them us their models and you can see the amount of, they were missing so many expenses, it was insane. And ours was just vastly uh, more extensive. And so we basically gave a presentation to each and every uh, commissioner and it was a shockingly eye-opening event for them um, where that they've heard that, yes, this is a very difficult model to make money. What they didn't see was you're essentially gonna be bankrupt within six months because you can't get ahead of your cash burn. Um, and once you see that, you see that it's just a model that will never work. And basically it's a lot to what Janelle was saying is, is that because you are tied to the actual retailer. So as we discussed more and more, they started seeing it more and more. And I think the problem with the commissioners is, is that they have a lot of good intent in mind here. They've been really focused on creating a lower barrier of entry and as Janelle says, this is marijuana. Unfortunately, it's a lot of money to get into any license in marijuana. So um, creating a lower barrier of entry actually created a model that was just not possible to make money off of. So we just said, listen, we need wholesale, we need to be able to store, we need to be able to package it, and we need to be able to deliver it on our own terms, actually create our own name, our own brand, and our own company. And I just happened to throw also an economic theory of mine around to the commissioners. And I said, listen, let's say if you wanted to have this lower barrier of entry, which is honestly speaking, I still in its current form don't see how it can make money. But let's say if you kept that in place, but then you also had a wholesale delivery license as well that can do exactly what described. The issue why, in my opinion, retailers are unwilling to compromise with retail-only deliverers on the economics that they need is because they're living high on the hog right now and that they have no incentive in order to play ball. So my thought is, let's just circumvent the retailers in general, all right? Have our own license, go and buy from cultivators directly have the margins to actually compete against the retailers. So now they have a competitor on one side. Additionally, the commissioners every month is um, approving more and more uh, retail dispensaries. Now they're gonna have pressure, competitive pressures from that side as well. I think at some point, the only mechanism that you can use in order to create a quote unquote lower cost barrier of entry is to actually inflict economic pressures on the retailers and combined with free market principles and let those prevail. Because right now they've been able to operate in a self-insulated ecosystem for the past two or three years and they don't have to play ball with anybody in this current environment. A self-insulated um, ecosystem is a very interesting way of, of calling them a monopoly. <laughs> or, or I, you know, monopoly is kind of very, um, I don't know, as harsh, I would say, an oligarchy. Um, they are separate entities kind of working in concert with each other, although probably not collusion, but they know what direction they're going to because pretty much each dispensary has told 
SC's the exact same sort of thing. And they all are operating from different margin uh, standpoints. I guarantee you that. There has been independent retailers have been approached and the fully integrated guys have been approached. And they're pretty much given the same answer in terms of the economics that they're willing to give. So monopoly, eh, oligarchy, yeah, I like that. <laughs> well, it sounds, and this is gonna betray the fact that I've been reading um, Doris Kern Goodwin's excellent book on Teddy Roosevelt and the golden age of American journalism. But there was a guy named J.D. Rockefeller who owned a company called Standard Oil in the uh, late 1800s, even after the Sherman Antitrust Act was passed in 1896. And what he used to do is he was an oil guy, right? But the way he made his money is he would go around to railroad companies, which, by the way, were a public good that the companies were only allowed to build because, you know, they were helping the country and such. And they got sweetheart deals where they got all the land rights under the railroad track. Yes. And, you know. yep. um, but in any event, the J.D. Um, Rockefeller, what he did to manipulate the market is he would do things like he would go to railroad sellers. Uh, J.D. Rockefeller owned a bunch of oil refineries under his monopoly standard oil. And he would go to uh, railroad companies and say, listen, charge me half price and charge all these independent oil towns full price. And what do you know it? Over the next three years, no independent oil towns uh, were able to keep up with the full rate when he was getting charged half price. And all of a sudden, all of the independent oil companies were rolled up somehow into the uh, standard oil monopoly. Um, it's why you often see political cartoons from that era depicting a seven-headed octopus with uh, J.D. Rockefeller at the top. Um, and the reason I bring it up in this context is I do think you're right, uh, Aaron, there, that monopoly is probably a little harsh. Um, it, it is more of a mindset than I think an active sort of centralization at the hands of any one person. Um, but one thing I do want to discuss here is that it does seem to me, maybe my read's uh, wrong here, Morris, the only people who would oppose expanding wholesale um, to delivery outside of public safety concerns potentially, which I think have been addressed, would be people whose profits are threatened. And by the same token, it seems to me that the structure you guys are proposing would have the end benefit not only of allowing SE and EE delivery companies to be viable, but would also reduce prices for consumers. Absolutely, yeah. So, so I think I think the these three things that we're suggesting would benefit the industry as a whole and would certainly benefit consumers. So, if there are consumers who would like to be able to just have great choice in terms of cannabis delivery to you, then I I would strongly urge you to go find that petition. I don't I don't have the uh, website right at the tip of my fingers. But you can find it from the the mass masscad.org. Um, so, so yeah, so consumers will benefit from it. I also do not think. Uh, obviously, there is some overlap between somebody who would go into a store versus delivery. But at the same time, retail stores are open to everybody out of state, which is something delivery operators cannot deliver to. I think there's also a certain segment of people who would like cannabis delivered, but still feel the social stigma and do not want to go into a store near them. So, so, so those people are not being cannibal. So those, you know, so that's not going to steal the retail store. Retailer, the retail store experience will still offer the ability to, you know, at least smell all the different products and strains at most stores. That's not something that delivery is going to ever be able to do. So, so, and then, and then finally, the the other to me the big benefit of of allowing wholesale and and we've mentioned this to the commissioners last week and we'll hopefully remember to say it again on monday is that it will i think it will really help the micro businesses and the craft cooperatives because they'll have smaller quantities hope i'm sure it'll be higher quality products but they might have a tough time getting their product into retail stores so if there are many delivery agents and they'll be looking for ways to differentiate themselves. So, so I, I think that allowing wholesale delivery, uh, aside from helping consumers, I think, I think will really help micro, micro businesses and craft cooperatives as well. Please, Aaron, go ahead. 
Um, additionally, I want to make sure that we really drill this part home is the extension of the exclusivity period. Um, this is very, very important. As I discussed a little bit earlier about the, the economic forces, I'm hoping that will be placed on retail. Um, I think the extension of the exclusivity period only uh, exacerbates that. It helps accelerate um, the hope that, you know, retail will actually start to play games. And also, additionally, you need the extension because two years was, regardless of what license it was going to be, two years was just way too little in the first place. It's very hard to evaluate any business in a two-year time frame to be able to make a decision on whether or not if it's successful or viable. And most businesses are lucky to break even in their third year. So at a very minimum, you really do need three years. And we need to have that option for extension to a fourth year if we are not seeing the number of participants entering the space that we're looking for as well too. So you need a combination of all these happening right here and right now. Now, just for some clarity for our viewers who maybe are just learning about this, um, we're talking about an exclusivity period. It, 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 that is a uh, two-year window uh, as proposed now. That does not uh, start until the first commence operation order is issued to a delivery company that's an EE or an SE. And that exclusivity window is such that for uh, the first two years, you guys are proposing that it be three or four years right now, uh, only companies that are more than 51% owned by a participant in the economic empowerment or social equity program can open a delivery uh, business. Am I understanding that? And um, even with that delayed opening and even with the review of the two-year period 18 months in, what you're saying is fundamentally a two-year period, even uh, with the way it's set up now, is not enough to analyze the efficacy of the implementation of the priority period and to determine if this benefit, the, the crown jewel of uh, social equity uh, status, I've heard someone say, this priority period for opening a delivery window, to determine if that's actually worth something. Can you explain a little bit more about what you mean by that and why there's some lag time when analyzing the financial viability of a company in the context of its first few operational years? When do, when do you? Um, okay. Um, okay, here we go. Let's get into this really good here. Um, so, <laughs> like any startup, all right, you're going to hope that it takes off like a hockey stick. In reality, a lot of times it doesn't. It might be a slow, gradual climb, you know, that certainly keeps going up. Um, and that's over a period of months and perhaps years. And as I was saying before, is that finding an industry where you can find the winners or if it's viable or successful, uh, I don't think there is an industry. And additionally, the CCC, I believe, was supposed to start uh, evaluating the success of these programs and these companies, I believe in month 16. So like they really are extremely handicapping themselves even at that point. So to me, it was automatically gonna be an automatic extension to the third year regardless, cause it would just be not enough data collected. If you really want to have at least some data that you can go off of, then you're gonna need that extra year. At least get to the industry standard across all industries of that third year where most companies are lucky to break even. And I think it will also do the CCC a benefit to giving themselves that time as well too. Because honestly speaking, I think they ended up painting themselves in a corner by having such a short period. And at the end of the day, this is business and businesses rarely follow the business plan that you've written. It's just, it's just life. Business does not care how your, how life is going for you. It will crap out on you at the time it wants to crap out on you, or it will present difficulties at that time. So you have to allow enough time to uh, those difficulties to be worked through. There's a few reasons I think that we're pushing for the exclusivity period. It's not only in order to evaluate the companies in a fair amount of time, but it's also because think about it. They're going to start this exclusivity period from the time the first business opens. Do we think that the, when the first business opens is anywhere near everyone that's going to be trying to get in? You're not going to get, I mean, you're, and everyone's still, a lot of people are still waiting for funding, right? So you're not going to get a lot of participation 
in that amount of time. It gives, it also gives the commission time to actually have a program that's going to look successful. Um, in two plus one, we don't think that that's enough time. Three plus one, you're getting closer to actually letting enough viable candidates in, giving the market time to mature a little because you need to see when some competition gets in, how is this gonna ride out? What's gonna happen? Are there gonna be auxiliary businesses that pop up that help these delivery companies be less expensive? You need time for all of that. The other, the other thing that it does, which Aaron touched upon, is it puts some pressure on the dispensaries, okay? Now they have players that will be operating in delivery. So right now, the way it is, is they really could block us all from delivery if they wanted, right? If we all said, we can't do it under 30%, they could all say, we'll wait until we can do it ourselves. If there's wholesale, someone is going to be delivering. Now, those retailers will be saying, okay, well, either we're gonna not play or we gotta play now. And that's a difference, you know? So it does all of those things that will help the industry, will help delivery actually be able to float. The other thing it does is if you were to keep a retail model, where you have some that can deliver from wholesale, some that can deliver from retail because of lower cost of entry, which we're still not really backing that because I don't, we don't necessarily believe in the margins you can make, but maybe you can be creative. A wholesale model even strengthens that. Because like I said, if you are going to just be delivering for retail, you need us to be delivering wholesale in order to get those retailers to really play with you. So we're strengthening the model, a model that I still say is weak, very weak, <laughs> but we're at least strengthening it in order to maybe make it viable. Then if you can, if you pair in some things that we've heard other SEs say, like sharing a space, co-location okay, co -lo co between deliverers, where I know the commission was concerned about how would they store cannabis in that way. And our solution is you have a secured room, you break that room up into sections, cages, whatever, and only your business has access to that cage. That's your inventory. So you could essentially co-locate, split accountants, split HR, split a lawyer, split the space, right? And therefore a retail model becomes a little bit more viable again. So these little things, and then if you have somebody that comes into the market, that's leasing people cars and retroing them for them so that you can you can spread out that cost. All these things take time, okay? So we want an exclusivity period extension for all of those reasons, not just because of how they need to evaluate the program because really evaluating the program most likely was already gonna lead to an extension. It's just that even three years is not enough. Look at how long it takes to get up and going here. So that's my high horse right now. <laughs> Thank you, Morris. I wanted to come to you because I know uh, the exclusivity period extension was something you touched on as well. So please. Well, I, I don't really have anything much to add to that. Uh, uh, really, just building on what what Janelle was saying is, look look how slow it took just to get those first retailers in the state going. I mean, if, so if the CCC is sort of that slow in allowing delivery agents to get operating, then, then say, say, say you want to get into delivery and, and only 10 are, are licensed in the first six months. So, so now you're, so, so you're starting say six, nine months after the first delivery was operating. Now, now there's only about one year, but you would only have about one year before now they're evaluating, should we extend it further? So, so for for all these reasons, uh, it, it makes sense to extend it further. Now, of course, you may say, well, why don't they just extend it? Why doesn't it just be forever? Well, again, there's pressure on the other side saying, well, if it's too long an exclusivity period, then there might be lawsuits about you can't do that. Or so, so, so they, they have to strike a balance between, uh, the, again, there are other pressures that we don't necessarily know directly about not that there's a history of, uh, for example, medical companies suing when equity statutes butt up against their profits or anything like in Cambridge, but uh, we do not have to go down that rabbit hole. Um, although we do have, uh, you know, five or six minutes left here and I was uh, going to 
uh, do two things, which was one, uh, ask your question about what folks can do uh, over the next few days and during the public comment period, and then a few lightning round questions. So first, uh, for folks who are listening, uh, we've had a really good uh, show this evening, and uh, if they want to get uh, beyond the petition, if they want to get involved directly with the CCC, uh, what can they do when they're sending in their email comments to commission at cccmass.com? What can they write about to really make an impact and make sure you guys get this expanded delivery format and exclusivity window? Well, not not not, not to not to keep going back to this, but everyone should say what they want to in their own voice. But I, we we you know, all of us folks who are, are helping the, this new Massachusetts Cannabis Association for delivery, if everybody tries to hit these three points, it'll just, and say it in your own words as you write an email to the commission. And and, I th and so that was commission at cccmass.com. Yeah, so, so if everybody you know, says why they think these three main points should be these should be the changes to the current draft regulations for delivery. I think that'll be a very powerful that the commission is hearing this. Oh, I mean, they've already heard it. I mean, we're, we're not the first ones to say it should be wholesale, but we're, we're just trying to stay. If, if everybody talks about these three points, it'll make a bigger impact on the commissioners. They'll be going, Oh my gosh, everybody, everybody is saying this. So, so, so let's figure out how to change the regulations to allow these changes and still maintain the safety and other concerns that we have. And remember that everyone doesn't, um, we don't know who's fighting against us in those in other letters, who's going to be standing up at public comment saying that this doesn't work for them. So the more of our voices that are saying, yes, but this is what is equitable for a program that you're supposed to be providing equity with. Um, I think that's a, that's a powerful argument and I don't see how you go against that if your mandate is equity and your intention is equity. Yep, yeah. and um, thank you both for that and uh, I do think it is telling in some ways um, when people start opposing proposals like this you very quickly come to see uh, who's driven by profit and who values equity and uh, I hope when the chips are down whether it's big corporate players activists advocates or otherwise equity comes before profit and anyone who feels differently uh, it's not that you can't be in this marketplace but just be keenly aware that at the very least you should be open about what you're saying because people will see through any attempt to put profit ahead of equity while couching it, for example, in the language of equity. Um, but I want to go lightning round here a little bit. Um, so first of all, we talked, we hit on so many things today related to the delivery regulations, but as part and parcel of that, we've hit on some things that are bigger than the changes to the delivery regulations, a municipal level apathy towards equity, uh, funding issues. Um, so quickly, first question I'll ask, we'll try to do 30 seconds to a minute per answer is, uh, there have been some you know proposals, nothing cemented, that would interpret 94G, section three, subsection A1I, which of course is my favorite section of MGL, to allow cities and towns to have EE and SE priority periods when issuing adult use HCAs that do not include medical dispensaries. What would that kind of EE and SE only exclusivity on the municipal level do to help clear up the backlog or the barriers that equity applicants are facing right now? I mean, it's, I think it'd be huge. Um, half the towns are closed right now because they already hit their caps. And if you go through each, many of these towns, it's pretty much the same type of people that you end up seeing here. And it's very little SE or EE involvement, uh, in my opinion. I mean, heck, look at our town. We lived here for 15 years. We went to the town like a month or two prior to the moratorium lifting. And they said, oh, we already had three large entities come in here and give a presentation three months prior to that. I'm like, how the hell, how's that possible? I'm like, look at us, we're SCs. We lived in town for 15 years. We have a stake in how we would like to see this implemented in our own town. You would think that we would get some sort of priority just, just for or that. Or consideration. Or consideration. They just said, oh, our lawyer said first in, first out. 
And I'm like, okay, well, okay, that's when that was our biggest wake up call. We're like, okay, this is going to take a lot more than just us following the rules, because uh, these other entities came months and months prior to even us going months and months prior to the moratorium. I think it would be a huge step in actually creating equity in this industry, in this state. Uh, it would be monumental. I think it would be a game changer in my opinion, especially if it's one-to-one. -one. Oh yeah, and I, I don't even think it has to be one-to-one. -one. I'm talking about an, a priority period where it's only EEs and SEs. I'm fine with that too. I think that's great, but you know there are gonna be other forces that are gonna say that's not fair but whatever i would say yes i i enjoy that as well at the very least to me one-to-one -one and make that retro so if those towns you were only going to have like abington i think they're only having one or two licenses two. and you gave both of them to non-se's we'll open some more licenses because that was not fair that's a proposal i could get on board with <laughs> um personal no yeah, i I'm very upset about it <laughs> I did agree to keep you all for only an hour. So we got uh, two more minutes here for me to ask one final question. And I know it's a topic that's a lot bigger than two minutes, but uh, we'll dive into it quickly and then dive out, which is financing. Uh, a lot of people know that financing for cannabis companies is very hard to obtain. Um, this has to do primarily with uh, FIDC, federal, uh, FDIC, federal deposit insurance, um, and general federal laws, which don't really allow banks or traditional forms of lending to uh, engage with cannabis companies. Now, there are some banks in the state of Massachusetts that now handle cash for um, marijuana companies, I believe six in total, but they don't actually provide lending services. So to kind of get around this, uh, the state of Massachusetts has come up with this proposal that was first implemented in California and then in Illinois, which is to create a state social equity loan fund overseen by the Housing and Economic Development Department, which actually oversees grants for businesses and startups and things like that. Now that loan fund would be funded by 10% of the cannabis excise tax and then um, a matching one-to-one uh, -one donation uh, from private uh, community donations or private donations. Is in the interim, before banking services can come out and actually lend to cannabis companies, is that kind of zero interest state run loan fund, if it's overseen in a transparent manner, at least somewhat of a patchwork solution while we wait for the federal government to move on the Safe Banking Act? Uh, okay, should I attack this one? Um, okay, it's a good start. Okay, um, where the initial starting point is with that 10%, I actually think it should be substantially larger than that, but that's another day, another time um, that we could talk about. I'm more of a libertarian, and I find that the more that government is in stuff, the more that they screw stuff up. So it's great to have a fund. I absolutely agree with having a fund. I prefer a grant versus a you know a loan but if it's a loan make it zero interest um that would be better but the big component that i have is is that there should be a third party third party arbitrator that is overseeing the distribution of these funds because face it i'll be honest almost everybody in our state government is just lawyers with no business degrees no business acumen never ran a business in their life so why are they the ones given the power to actually figure out uh, how to distribute this money? You know, people are submitting their business plans to this fund. So they should actually be able to judge on the merit of that business plan and the applicant to see if this would actually be a viable company of which to lend to. Because to me, I believe that you also want to preserve the capital that is in the fund as well more than just handing it out. So I would actually prefer, I don't know, if they could find somebody in government that actually understands business and economic principles and free market principles, then so be it. But it still needs to be separate from the yeah, CCC. I think, I think it has to be separate though. I think you need somebody else who's actually in charge of distributing those funds who actually know what they're looking at. Yeah, no just, just, to, just, just to be clear, the, the, the law um, doesn't allow the CCC to be involved okay. with the loan fund at all. So it would be right now the Housing and Economic Development uh, Department, which is an, its own agency within the state government. It's not um, part of the CCC. But I also tend to agree with you, which is that any time there are funds being overseen, whether it's a comptroller, an independent arbiter, whatever it is, 
that transparency is the only way, along with you know making the program grant funded, that you can actually have the kind of viability that I think is needed. Um, now we did run a few minutes over time, so I beg uh, both of your forgiveness, but I wanted to give Morris uh, and uh, uh, both uh, Aaron and Janelle a chance uh, to make a closing remark. Uh, so before we get out of here, I guess Morris will come to you first. Is there anything you want to leave our viewers with uh, after what has been really an excellent conversation? Uh, well, nothing too much additional. I, I thank you so much for, for letting us cover these excellent bases about delivery. Uh, I think I think it's so important to for the people watching to reach out to the commission uh, starting uh, well now. I mean, you can you can send an email now, compose an email now. And here's the other thing that we found out last week. I I believe this will be the third time that the commission has has modified the regulations since they started out and they and to be fair you know it's very hard to get this exactly right out of the gate and they've done a lot of innovative things that are very cool there's been some things that haven't worked out and that's why they're they're redrafting but here's the tidbit we found out last week this may be the last time they do it for years because this process is so hard it's so intense uh, they get so much pressure. This is it. <laughs> this is it potentially for years and years and years before there'll be any other changes. So, so if you, if you want to have your voice heard, you have to do it before August 14th. Thank you. Erin uh, and Janelle. Um, for me, I would like to just say like we picked, honestly, we picked these three because they were, we felt were the most important and we had the least contention so um everything else there was a lot of issues with it you know two drivers body cameras there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, varying concerns whereas wholesale um even maybe the ex extension we think and warehousing were not as contend have didn't have as many contentions because the real reason was to make a low cost barrier of entry is what we were told. And if that's the reason, we are asking to let go of that reason because we need a real business. This is not, this is the beginning of the fight. There's a lot more things to fight for, like the opening of the towns, which are almost all closed down, I feel like, especially down in the South Shore. Um, but this is a start. And so we're just hoping that everyone can just push for this and at least get us to have a real business. Um, yeah, it's the same with everybody else said, um, but also uh, I feel morally obligated. Do not get into this license, this retail only delivery license um, until we see what happens with the wholesale. I think once the wholesale uh, gets passed, which it, it should get passed along with the extension of the exclusivity period, I think at that point, that retail only license looks uh, a lot better than when it currently is. But absence of a wholesale model, uh, I really, I listen, you do your own thing. I'm just telling you, I wouldn't do, we're not, we won't be doing it. We'll, we'll go just cultivation, we have to. Um, but I will not be entering that license uh, without having a wholesale uh, license to help put some pressure on these dispensaries. Same. Well, cannot thank uh, you all enough. Uh, I know uh, how busy you all are uh, with uh, going through this process uh, and taking on this fight for a more fair and equitable market uh, on behalf of myself, Grant Smith, and the Young Jerks uh, to see uh, folks like yourself being willing to go out there and put yourselves on the line to fight for not only a fair cannabis market for yourselves, but a fair cannabis market for every delivery company that will come down the lines. It's inspirational. Uh, it drives me to get up in the morning feeling like I'm part of something. And it really shows, in my opinion, the very best of, what's, of what grassroots organizing and grassroots activism can be, because it truly does take that kind of selfless leadership on behalf of yourselves and so many others that you've been working with to put equity over profit. It's very hard to turn those words into an action, but I've seen you do it. I've seen you manifest it over these past few weeks and I wanted to take the chance to let you know how inspired I am and how um, much reverence I have for, for what you all 
and the people you've been working with have been able to, to accomplish. And I know the job's not done. Even if the wholesale changes go through, even if the warehousing goes through, I know this job, and I think we all realize this job is not done. Uh, there are market, uh, there are elements of this market, whether it be on the municipal level, on the CCC level, and so much more that have to be fixed on the financing level. And this uh, is a commitment uh, when, when joining into the cannabis market uh, for the right reasons. It's a commitment not just to oneself, but also to all the people who are gonna come down for the next 100 years. Um, so it's hard sometimes to, to realize that historical context, but talking to folks like yourself, it always brings it back for me. So this has been an amazing evening. Thank you all so much for joining us on The Young Jerks. Uh, it's 5, 10 p.m. on August the 1st. We've been here with Morris Partey and Aaron and Janelle Goins. Yes. Yes. So I, I mastered the names by the end. You have been watching The Young Jerks. You can find this episode along with all of our other episodes in video format at facebook.com forward slash The Young Jerks. You can also find this episode as a podcast along with every other podcast in our archive via our Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Breaker, Stitcher, or anywhere else where your podcasts are found. Uh, you can also find more written content from the founder of The Young Jerks, Mike Crawford, and myself, the host, Grant Smith, uh, at midnightmass.substack.com. Uh, please keep an eye going forward for more episodes from The Young Jerks and for more content in particular with regards to uh, so many uh, workforce issues, uh, equity issues, and more. Uh, if I could just ask our guest to stay with us for 40 seconds while I roll the outro ad. Uh, it's been very nice to be with you all this evening, and I hope you all enjoy the rest of your night. The Young Jerks are sponsored by UFCW 1445, a labor union representing cannabis employees in Massachusetts. If you are a cannabis employee worried about your health and safety, and are not being heard at work. UFCW, local 1445.org, or call them at 1-800-439-1445.